Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tegal, and in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Corey Lewis, CEO and president and founder at Incog Biopharma Services. Please ignore the background noise. That is my one-year-old son thinking he is a podcast superstar like his dad. Anyway, in today's episode, uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with Corey, who was a really sensational guest. Corey talks about his 25 years in the CDMO space, including uh, stints with Baxter and Cataland. But most notably, he had uh, 10 years at Cook Pharmaco, uh, taking uh, a business from a turnaround to actually helping exit that business for $950 million. An incredible journey that he talks about in great detail. He then talks about going on to found uh, his new business, uh, Incog, and what that journey was like and some of the opportunities that were for him once he left Catalent. Incredible insights into uh, what he learned from franchise models and how that led him to looking at the way to set up a very customer-centric CDMO. Lots of other learnings from uh, my guest today. He was a genuinely uh, brilliant person to have on the podcast, and I hope you get a lot of insight and uh, learnings from this episode. As always, give us a five-star rating if you get the chance. Uh, It means a lot to us. And other than that, enjoy today's episode. Hey, Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you here as a guest. And Corey, uh, I've known of you for for many, many years, um, but for our listeners, it'd be great if you could just give everyone a bit of an overview of who you are, uh, how you got into the sector and and what you do at Incog today. Perfect, Ramon. Thank you very much for uh, for the opportunity here and certainly... uh, Love to share the story of Incog and what we're creating. Obviously, as a newly formed company in 2020, you know we're still at the early stages of many things, uh, but but certainly excited about the opportunity that's in front of us, the market that we're participating in, you know, the sector of life science. There's just so many good things that are happening, and you know, glad to be a part of uh, this discussion and, and share with you some perspectives on that. Um, relative to background, uh, for what you just asked, you know, certainly uh, I'm, I'm celebrating 25 years of being in the industry. I graduated from Indiana University in uh, 1996 and started my my career with Baxter up in Chicago uh, in August of 1996. Um, so I, I spent a number of years in finance, a couple years in marketing, and then ultimately had the opportunity to get exposure to the CDMO business in early 20, or excuse me, early 2002. And specifically, I was still with Baxter, but Baxter had just acquired a contract manufacturing company by the name of Cook Pharmaceutical Solutions uh, that was located in, in Bloomington, Indiana. Today, that site is now referred to as Baxter Biopharma uh, Solutions, I believe. Uh, but that's where I've, I started my career and spent a number of years uh, in the CDMO business with Baxter from 2002 to 2008. And then over you know, the last, uh, you know, that ultimately what ended up to be about 20 years, I've been in the CDMO space, working at Baxter, a small stint without the technologies, which is now Ajinomoto, and then most recently um, joined Cook Pharmaca in 2009, stayed on with that company through the acquisition that happened with Catalent, and uh, ultimately departed Catalent in February of 2019. Really not sure of what my next step was, uh, but that's ultimately what's led us to where we are today. You know, going through the journey of figuring out, do we go start a small company and uh, 
in the life science space or outside. I've got a lot of great stories to share about the journey that ultimately led us to what is today NCOG. But um, again, that's the background, 25 years in the industry and about uh, the last 20 years specifically in the CDMO space. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's great. And uh, congratulations on your 25 year <laughs> anniversary. I'm sure you've picked up uh, a few gray hairs <laughs> on the on the on the journey. And I'm going to come I'm going to come back to Incog and, you know, obviously love to know more about the business and what you're doing and where the business is going. But I'm I'm going to rewind back to some of the incredible experience that you talked about there. And um, I, I believe actually we met in person in 2009, 2010 at an event and I was working for a UK CDMO and I'd came across uh, Cook Pharmaca and, and watched that business grow uh, for a decade or so. And I believe you were there for nine, nine, ten years. And then obviously sold to, to Catlin for the best part of a, a billion dollars. So do you mind talking about that experience? Because that must have been a heck of a ride, uh, you know, over that, that 10 years or so. Yeah, certainly. So that was April of 2009 that I made the decision to move um, you know, from Althea over to Cook Pharmaca. And it was a, a myriad of reasons. Um, I was traveling to San Diego, California for the better part of the year there, about three weeks out of the month. We just had kid number four, uh, Oliver, who is now 12 years old. And I was just at that juncture to say, do we move to California or do we you know, try to find something local in Indiana, which is where I reside, and had the opportunity to talk to Ted Green, uh, who was interim president at the time. And you know, we hit it off very quickly and uh, made the decision to come join him, leading the business development activities for that business. A couple unique things, and this, uh, what doesn't break you makes you stronger, but I will tell you, uh, Cook is a very interesting company. I mean, from a parent organization, they're now a 55-year-old company, if I'm not mistaken, privately held. Uh, the business was, was started by Bill and Gail Cook in uh, the mid-1960s, specifically around device manufacturing. Over the years, they expanded you know, in, into different businesses, one which ultimately became Cook Pharmaca, which is a CDMO focused on drug substance manufacturing. And at the time that I joined, they were just uh, bringing on capabilities to do drug product manufacturing, vial filling, syringe filling in particular. So I joined uh, that organization thinking it's 2009. They've been in business for five years. Uh, private companies didn't talk a lot about financials, but you know I knew they had 200 employees at the time. And what I thought was going to be a you know, significant growth opportunity as I got in there and quickly figured out, Ted and I had our hands full with ultimately what was the better part of, uh, if you explained it as a turnaround. Um, we had very few customers. We were spending you know, significant cash flow, you know, supporting our drug substance business, and we were investing heavily to bring on drug product manufacturing. But we had less than five customers, and uh, it, was, it was truly a startup. I thought it was growth play, and uh, we, we figured it out. We quickly put a lot of effort into how do we approach customer acquisition a little bit differently? How do we drive operational excellence in a new facility? And, and I think we did that fairly well, which ultimately culminated, if you fast forward, uh, and this is information that would have been shared at the time of the acquisition that Catalan made in 2017, we were you know, just shy of $180 million in revenue. So it took a business in 2009 that was you know, really a startup organization, uh, burning cash, turned it around and made it into an absolute uh, success story in many regards, you know, working with, I think at the time, 23 of the top 25 biopharma companies uh, at the time of the acquisition in 2017, I believe we had 12 commercially approved products out of that site. 
And it was just a really fun journey. We had grown the team to you know north of 850 employees, if, if my memory serves me correctly. And those are you know 850 employees, team members that uh, you know just really were focused on getting product to patient and really focused on customer service. Right? We clearly had great assets, great technical capabilities, strong quality systems. But the thing that I like about Cook Pharmaca was just our customer centric mindset. And, uh, you know, certainly I think the CDMO market needs that and, you know, really excited about NCOG, you know, bringing back some of those components, being a privately held company, you know, focused on best in class equipment, focused on best in class processes and systems, and ultimately, you know, having that focus on customer service to get product to patients. Just couldn't be more excited about where we are and, you know, leveraging the experience of, uh, you know, 25 years of being in the business. Mm-hmm. That's great. And tell me about the contrast. Obviously, you spent a little bit of time at Catalent, uh, you know, once the acquisition was complete, you know, before setting up Incog. Just curious to know, it sounds like you've been in very entrepreneurial driven businesses. And obviously, Catalent is a <laughs> huge global business. And was it, I'm guessing it wasn't what you were used to, or it was very different to what you were used to? You know, the interesting thing when I look at this, you know, whether it be from traditional work experience or, you know, having uh, worked through to get my MBA, you look at things maybe a little bit more analytically, you, you apply general business principles. You know, there are so many different ways to run companies and, you know, there are so many good ways, so many bad ways. And the nice thing about, you know, my time at Baxter, my time at Cattle and my time at Cook, all three of those organizations, you know, as measured uh, via you know success parameters and specifically are you creating good products for customers are you focused on delivering product in a quality manner and on time i mean all of those things were important the the, the difference that i would say between cook pharmaca and candidly my time at baxter and catalent was cook was a privately held organization catalent and Baxter are publicly held uh, organizations. And as a result, the financials, generally speaking, and this is a generalization that doesn't apply across the board, but the financial measurements are so important in public companies. I can say specifically at Cook Pharmaca, they were less important. And, and this goes back to the founder, Mr. Cook. His philosophy was hire good people, get out of their way, and the financials work themselves out. <laughs> and you know, that is just a such a... a a different non-traditional way when you think of business and private equity and public companies, you know, certainly what keeps you going is the financials and, you know, what have you done for me this quarter and what are you going to do for me next quarter and how do we grow the business? Again, you take both those, all of those are good companies achieving great things, but I would just say the way that we did it at Cook, you know, basically because the culture of Cook, you know, with Mr. Cook, you know, setting this as a, a, a key point and a key principle, you know, we just did the right thing for the team. We did the right thing for the employees and the financial outcomes were the, the results of good effort. And it, it, again, not that one's better than the other, they're just different. So certainly that's what I, you know, gained as probably my big takeaway from my time at Cook Pharmaca. And clearly it, it worked out well, right? To your point, it resulted in a $950 million acquisition of that company and Cook had a great exit, you know, that they were able to then take and reinvest back into their core business, medical devices and, and otherwise. So, you know, great success. And I couldn't be more pleased and happy to see what Catalan has done with that site. Um, I think when I left in February, it was a little over 1,200 employees. And if, if I understand it correctly today, that site's well over 3,000 employees. And 
you know, if I just do the math, they're probably delivering 200 to 400 million doses of COVID vaccine to the marketplace and accomplishing some great things. And I, and I love seeing it. And, uh, you know, certainly they've been able to reinvest in the business and, you know, continue to expand. And, you know, really excited for what Catalan has done and, you know, certainly is doing down at that site in Bloomington. That's great. That's great. It's great getting your perspective on the differences between these uh, companies. And, and that obviously brings us nicely to what you said at the start, you know, deciding what to do when you left Catalan. And obviously you founded a new business and, uh, you know, I have to ask, you know, hire good people and get out of their way, as Mr. Cook told you, is that going to be a philosophy for you at Incog? And also just, you know, be great for a listener to, you know, understand more about the business and what it is, uh, what it's set up to achieve. Yes, it, it certainly is. And again, you know, I think we, when we put a team together, right, we've got to hire people onto the Incog team that bring technical expertise, quality expertise, business expertise, whatever it is. Um, but certainly as the you know CEO and, and founder of the company, I can't be everywhere at all times. So we've got to rely on the team to be able to go execute, you know, across all parameters of the business. And that's, you know, that's why you hire good people. You hire good people so they can get the job done. Obviously, then we come together and we create great results. Um, so, so certainly that is a core, you know, of NCOG and, you know, part of the reason why I started that. And maybe even before I go into the the why of NCOG, you know, I think it's also important to talk a little bit about the journey because there's one example that I, I share often with, with people. Um, but when I started this journey of not knowing exactly what I wanted to do next, I literally gave myself three swim lanes. One swim lane was go buy an existing company, not even in the pharma space. I thought, let's try something different. Um, swim lane two was go hook up with a private equity group and, you know, grow a business, do a turnaround, expand it, exit. You know, ultimately, number three, where we landed was, you know, could we go create, you know, hey, could we go raise the capital to create another best in class CDMO in the space? Um, but I gave myself two months and had probably close to 50 different discussions on that swim lane one. It was looking at everything from uh, a tool and die company, landscaping company. I looked at franchises and it was, it was kind of a, a bizarre experience, but I did a lot of research. And one that I, I just find so interesting is I was looking at franchises in the fast food space. And my numbers are maybe a little dated here, but just to give you three parallels, Taco Bell, McDonald's, and Chick-fil-A. Uh, I assume you've eaten at all three of those and you've got your perspective of, of those. But all three. Yeah. So, I mean, all three of them bring a different level of quality. They bring a different menu type. You know, they bring the opportunity for re repeat customers and candidly i still uh while health and wellness is important for me i still cheat and and go to all three of those fast food places but when you think of it from a business perspective and this was the the interesting thing is you know a, a taco bell on average has about 1.5 million of you know uh, sales per store a mcdonald's i think today is close to 2.6 million um, per store and a chick-fil-a is 4.6 million Wow. At the end of the day, they're all fast food companies. At the end of the day, they, you know, tout quality at a different level. They, you know, tout repeatability between stores. But I asked myself, why is it that Chick-fil-A is able to do 4.6 million per store? And, and you start to dive into it. I mean, at the end of the day, McDonald's has a chicken sandwich and French fries. Chick-fil-A has a chicken sandwich and French fries. But for me, the reason I go back to Chick-fil-A is certainly the quality of the product is good. I think it's you know, on par, if not better than you know, some of the, the other chicken sandwiches that are out there on the marketplace. But what stands apart is the customer service that they offer, both 
in the days when we could go in the store. Um, you know, if you're sitting in their uh, in their restaurant, the the team was just very polite. They would oftentimes come pick your tray up before you could throw it away. They would ask you for a refill. They, they just had more people in their restaurant making sure that customer service was a a positive experience and making sure that that touch point was good, right? When you go through the drive-through, um, my, my kids laugh uh, at this and they try it on all the time, but they clearly are trained that when you say thank you, their response is my pleasure. And if you say thank you a second time, it's my pleasure. And it almost goes back and forth until you finally drive away because you <laughs> can't outlast them. But that, it's a training element. They understand customer service. They've got a good product. And the thing that just baffles me, I told you the revenue numbers, 4.6 million per store versus a McDonald's at 2.5, 2.6. Chick-fil-A is only open six days a week. 16% less time being open, but they're 2x, you know, close to 2x more revenue working 16% less. And that I take that away from the standpoint, and you can analyze it however you want, but, you know, work smarter. Um, you know, it, does, it doesn't have to be about the amount of work, but how can you be more efficient with your work? How can you drive customer experience that once you get that customer, they come back and want to work with you a second time, a third time. They want to come, you know, purchase that sandwich. They want to tell their friends about it. I mean, right now I'm a, I guess I'm a marketer for Chick-fil-A because I tell people to go to Chick-fil-A. It's a great experience, great, <laughs> uh, great sandwich. And I candidly probably pay 20 or 30% more for the chicken sandwich as compared to some of the other, uh, you know, chicken sandwiches that are out there in the marketplace. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to text my wife right now and ask her to pick me a Chick-fil-A up for lunch, I think, based on that. <laughs> hey, that there you go. That's, it is, yeah. phenom- I mean, I, I didn't know that. And it's, it's incredible what you can learn from different industries. Just, I, I imagine that experience of just diving into something and, and analyzing the business models and understanding, well, how can Chick-fil-A achieve these numbers with, you know, working less hours is, is a phenomenal you know, it sounds like you've you've understood the kind of some of the reasons why, and I'm guessing that's what I mean. What what learnings from there are you bringing into Incog? And I don't want to actually. I'm very interested to hear your second lane as well, and the PE route, and why that wasn't the choice for you. But I'd love to explore that, and then yeah. actually, you know, what do, what yeah. does the Chick Fil A thing um, or the Chick Fil A kind of anecdote? What's that going to deliver to incog and how that's going to affect the way you guys are going to run that business which sounds sounds great hopefully chicken on arrival would be (laughs) arrivals there you go well let me let me just address the private equity piece first and while i think you know again i'm now 47 years old i've got presumably another 20 years in my career private equity was an interesting play it would have given a great opportunity to go help other companies, you know, drive more success, ultimately maybe even do some some roll-up activities and bring more companies together. But it, for me, you know, being in my mid-40s, I wanted to do something that was fun. And I didn't think for me, right, it, each uh, to each person, you know, his or her own path to figure out what's next. But for me, I just didn't think I was going to have fun doing that. You know, could I have found success in it? Could I have, you know, worked with a good group to be able to go do a roll up and go bring some companies together and create something really good in the marketplace. Yes. But if I wasn't going to have fun at it, I'm like, mm, maybe not the right thing for me. So then that led me to point number three was clearly I've got domain experience in the life science space. Um, have a, I think, a pretty good handle and understanding on what the market needs when it comes to capabilities, when it comes to quality standards, when it comes to customer service expectations. Um, what I didn't have 
you know, was ultimately what we did was, you know, raise north of $50 million to go create a best in class facility. So I had to put some time thinking through how do you go about that process? And ultimately, the fact that we're here today, we were successful in raising it. Um, but the thing that, again, back to the Chick-fil-A example, just to tie one more point together, the reason I think that Chick-fil-A was also successful and their model works is generally speaking, I, I think, and I could be off on my numbers, but let's say there's 6,000 stores. I think all but 30 to certainly, I think less than a hundred of those are individually owned and operated. And, and what that tells me is the reason they're so successful, number one, they've got a training program that can be replicated across the country. Number two, they have individual owner operators that are involved in the day-to-day -day activities of the business. They're at the restaurant. They're working to ensure that the culture, customer service, the culture, you know, caring for your employees is something that they live by. And it's a really hard interview process. I'd never got to that point because I changed my mind and direction of what I wanted, but I did have a friend that went through it. I think they do a 10 step interview process, you know, before they narrow it down to who's going to be the individual that gets the golden key to the next franchise, right? As an example. But I come back to that, the owner operator piece, and that's ultimately, you know, where we are now with Incog, right? Myself and Ted Green as, you know, founders in this organization, you know, we're both involved in the day-to-day -day activities. We intend to be involved. We hope this is the capstone on our career. And we want to grow something really special in the CDMO space with Incog. And we want to do things a little bit differently than, you know, some of our competitors do. And we want to do things a little bit better you know, than, uh, than the way we've done it in the past. And, you know, life in general is, you know, where have you been, where are you now, and what are you going to do in the future? And that's what we're working towards is how do we create uh, a best-in-class CDMO that hits the mark, that is good for, and this will come back in a, in a minute, maybe when I explain the name, that is, is good for not just the team, the, the employees, but also good for our partners, our suppliers, good for our investors, good for our customers, because the name is INCOG and within INCOG, there's a COG component of that. And I, I fundamentally believe that for this business and any business to work, the COGs of the gear have to work together, right? Mm -hmm. Employees working with customers, working with partners. When those things flow smoothly, it's a well-oiled machine. You produce great results. You produce great outcomes. As soon as one of those elements gets off, what generally happens? Gears start grinding, parts start breaking, and that's just not a fun place to be. So we believe that at Incog, you know, the, the collaboration, the teamwork, I mean, those are just, you know, some hard principles that we're instilling into the organization and the culture is making sure that, you know, this isn't about me. This isn't about, you know, any one individual. This is about the Incog team and how do we make it successful today? How do we make it a company uh, that, that people want to be a part of in five years and 10 years and 20 years down the road? And you know, again, that's where for me it comes back to that's a lot of fun when you can create something from truly, you know, ground up and, you know, ultimately get to where we believe we can get with this business. It's going to be a fun journey and uh, certainly doing it with some good people already. We've got 24 people on the team. I think we'll be 26 in the next two weeks and just continuing to you know grow the team so we can deliver the great results for our customers. That's great to hear. And, you know, as a, as a founder of, of businesses, I absolutely share your enthusiasm around the fun aspect, especially at the kind of startup phase. I imagine you're getting your hands <laughs> dirty and involved in things you've probably never done before, which is kind of a unique learning curve that I'm, I'm sure you're experiencing, which is, which is great. And 
obviously you guys are based in or the headquarters is in Fishers in Indiana. It's a I'm just yeah for our listener and actually for myself as well. It'd be great to paint a picture of that part of the world in the U.S. and there seems to be quite a lot of activity. But uh, it'd just be good for you to kind of share what that's like as a as a place and you know and actually how how recruitment might be a challenge for you guys. As you, uh, I read that you know you're trying to uh, get to 150 people by the end of 2024, which is which is fantastic for the community and uh, you know the local economy um mm-hmm. but if you could paint a picture of that part of the world for for us that would be that would be great yeah well I, I think there's something very unique about the state of indiana specifically and even central indiana which is where where we're located and that is at the end of the day indiana is you know certainly a, a farming community mm-hmm. but indiana is also a manufacturing community and there are great manufacturing companies that have been here over the years, whether it be the auto industry, you know, with General Motors and the likes that uh, you know, have many sites throughout the U.S., but, you know, a, a number of sites here in the Midwest, Indiana specifically. Manufacturing when it comes to other, you know, um, life science products, clearly in central Indiana, we have Roche Diagnostics, we have Eli Lilly and Company that are big hallmarks of, of the space. Uh, Northern Indiana, you know, certainly is the orthopedic capital of the world. I believe, you know, statistically something like 80% of the knees and hips come out of Northern Indiana, you know, between Zimmer, Depew, what used to be Biomet. Um, so Indiana just has a great foundation for manufacturing, mm-hmm. you know, couple that with what we've done in the life science space over the years. And ultimately where I think we can continue to differentiate the state Life science is a space that I'm committed to. And again, if you take Bloomington, Indiana, uh, Bloomington, Indiana is probably 70 to 80,000 residents. Um, it's about an hour south of Indianapolis. And you've got two of the top five, arguably, uh, parental CDMOs that are there, Baxter and, and Catalan. Mm-hmm. You know, combined, they've got close to 4,000 employees in that community, which is a small community, but they've been able to attract and you know, build their organizations with good talent. And, and again, I say from that regards, we can do it again here in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is north of a million uh, residents. The town that we've selected is Fishers, which is a, a, one of the fastest growing cities in the state. And I think it's even on the top 50, if I'm not mistaken, nationwide, but close to 100,000 residents. There is just a great access to talent in this, this community. And certainly within a 15 and 30 mile radius, you know, I think we will certainly be able to be an employer of choice as we grow our business, you know, both from the standpoint of what we do, life-saving drugs for patients, as well as the fact that, um, you know, we're going to have a, a focus. Our, our, our mission, our culture is going to be very much oriented towards making sure that we're, we're an employer of choice. And that comes down to how do you treat your employees? How do you grow the business? And can we, you know, continue to reinvest in the business, you know, over the next five, 10 and 20 plus years? And certainly that's, that's, uh, that's in our goals. And, that's why we're doing what we're doing here at NCOC is this long-term vision, which leads me to, you know, maybe highlight. I mean, there are three reasons why I started NCOG. Number one was really to create a company with staying power, create a legacy that others can carry forward. Um, because I, I think if you go into a business thinking, oh, I'm going to you know, do it and turn around and sell it and, you know, let it be somebody else's challenge. That, certainly it works for people. But for me, that just wasn't, wasn't what I was after. I want to create something that Truly, employees can join NCOG and they can be working here 5, 10, and 20 years down the road. And we've created a business that allows that. You know, number two was do with you know, employees, teammates who are like-minded, um, who are very much focused on delivering great service. 
Uh, so we spend a lot of time and myself specifically, I don't talk a lot about the technical aspects of um, an interview Canada. I talk more around how do they approach customer service? How do they approach teamwork and collaboration? Because those things are, are uh, skills that, you know, certainly you can teach and coach, but they need, they need to be foundational to the individuals. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, number three, when you do that, you create a culture where uh, employees can have fun while working hard to achieve those results, right? I, I always use the example, you know, for the the, the, the normal employee, you're going to be away from your family 40 hours a week, right? Some weeks it's maybe 35, other weeks it's 60 or 80, right? We need to be able to provide an environment and a culture where employees want to show up to work every day and want to bring their best game, you know, for the benefit of their teammates and for the benefit of the customers. And I, I you know, if, I think if we focus on those three things, mm-hmm. you know, a number of the other technical aspects of the business, you know, they will naturally fall in place. And, you know, certainly supported by the investment that we have in this business, we're going to build and are building a best in class facility. We are installing best in class filling equipment and isolation, um, you know, utilizing isolator technology. You know, we are investing in our quality systems. Like those are the givens that allow mm-hmm. us to be competitive. Um, and then certainly as we have the culture and the focus on customer service, I think that's where we'll be able to further differentiate ourselves a bit. And you might have mentioned this already, uh, Corey, but um, is it the capability set is going to be mainly around sterile's and injectables? Is that is that correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. So we'll be uh, introducing an Optima filling line that's capable of uh, filling drugs into vials, syringes, and cartridges, you know, certainly will continue to be able to support, you know, the downstream activities, inspection, labeling, and packaging, Uh, but sterile injectable is the, is the space where our investment is going. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. I want to just switch gears and talk about, it's interesting, you know, doing research prior to interviewing you today and you you have a exemplar career in terms of the types of companies you've worked for, the types of success. And I'm really uh, excited to see this part of your journey where you're finding, you know, you found your own business and you and Ted are going to be taking that to the next level. But I'm interested in knowing, you know, what, what are you not very good at, right? You know, because on the face of it, it's like Corey's got it all figured out, right? He knows what he's doing. And I'm always interested in what does someone like yourself have to work on? You know, there are areas in your competence and your own development that, that you're having to always be be mindful of. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great question, by the way, Ramon, and, uh, you know, never an easy one to answer, but certainly... And I've had discussions this week and this month specifically on this is how do I continue to grow in this role, you know, as being both uh, an owner operator of the company, right? I mean, that's a different role than I've had to serve in the past. Um, And with it comes different responsibility sets, um, you know, but certainly making sure that I stop and listen. I was on a a walk yesterday, given where we are today with COVID, I try not to... uh, sit in conferences rooms longer than I need to, was able to get out with one of our um, employees that's you know relatively younger in his career, new to the life science space, specifically CDMO, and just was listening, right? You know, you've been here since March, right? You're new to a company, it's a startup. We don't have a lot of systems and processes established when you join and that's what we're working to create. But, you know, just listen, what is working? What's not working? What do we need to be doing differently? What do we need to be doing more of? What do we need to be doing less of? And it's really, you know, continuing to get good at 
triangulating the opinions and the perspectives of your team to then be able to go make you know the company better tomorrow than it was today. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a journey that I'm on candidly for the next 20 years. Um, my parents or my, my kids remind me uh, of some of these things as well. Like, dad, just let me, let me figure it out. Well, again, I, when I see, you know, my, my kid doing X, Y, or Z, I want to just offer a hand and a perspective. <laughs> they, you know, here's a way to do it differently. But sometimes I, I just have to step back and let them figure it out. I have to let them succeed and fail on their own, be there as a, a safety net, be there as an advisor, be there as a parent, whatever it may be. But yeah, I, th- I think in life, you know, with kids and family at, at work, you know, with, with colleagues and, and peers, I mean, continuing to be a better listener and continuing to be a better supporter uh, is certainly something that I, I focus on and, and need to continue to get better at, period. No, that, that's great. And appreciate your honesty. And it's, it's, it's hilarious. You know, I've got three young kids, you know, three boys, and I constantly have to work on listening as well with them all and, in and actually letting them understanding the value of letting them solve their own problems. Yes. It might be quicker if you could you know help them or whatever, but actually they're never going to learn unless they, they fail and make mistakes. And I know your kids are a little bit older than mine, but it is a, and it's also, it's an entrepreneurial, uh, part of who you are and probably who I am that you see problems and you just instinctively want to go and solve them and that's not particularly helpful for your team at times and for your kids as well there's huge parallels I I see between being a leader of an organization and and being a parent so that's uh, it's great to get your perspective on that and and if you if you could go back Corey and give your 25 year old self some advice what what would you say to him dream big I mean candidly dream big uh I can't say as I ever thought I would be here or didn't think I'd be here, but you know, the last two years have just really put some things, some, um, some life components in perspective. And, you know, admittedly, I'd never had left a job without knowing exactly what my next move was, but being able to take, you know, the better part of six or seven months off and just figure it out, man, that was so critical. Right. So I tell my 25 year old self, probably two things. Number one, dream big and don't ever be afraid to fail. You know, worst case is you fail, you get back up and you figure it out again. Number two, um, and, and this is a perspective like I, I've gained is we go to work, right? We're, and let me even back up a little bit, just philosophically, you know, generally speaking, I knew I was going to go to college. I knew that I was going to get a job. I knew that I'd get married, have a family. I knew I wanted to be able to, you know, save for retirement. Those are just like fundamentals of maybe how I was brought up or just the perspective. And it was, you know, from a work perspective, you're working because you want to have a career, you want to provide for your family, you want to, you know, save for retirement. You know, taking a six month sabbatical really put things in perspective. Like those things are really important, but it's not all about work, right? It's not all about retirement. And unfortunately, you know, some people don't make it to that, right? I've seen many examples where people, you know, work hard, save for retirement. And unfortunately, you know, they get a disease, they get cancer, they get uh, stricken down by COVID, whatever it may be. So I I would tell my 25 year old self, live the moment too, right? I mean, you've got to make sure that you're saving for your future, planning for your future, but you also have to live the moment. Um, So that, that, those are two parallels that I would say, you know, just critically important. And, and again, even on this dream big example, I told you I had four kids. My eldest is now 17. She's a senior. One of the things she came to me about three years ago and said, dad, 
I, I want to go to college. I don't know where, but I think I want to go into one of the academies. I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, yeah. She's like, I want to go into the Navy Academy. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I, that's probably about as all I said was, that's cool. Let's, uh, let's figure it out. The next day she comes home and she's like, dad, I think I figured it out. Right. Um, I think of the applicants, only 11% make it into the Navy. It might be 9% into West Point, somewhere in that range, like nine to 11%. And my immediate response was, that's great. What are you going to do to be part of the nine to 11% that succeeds? I didn't focus on the 89% that failed to make it through the academy process. I said, if, if you want to do this, put a plan in place so that you can figure that out. And we're on that journey now. Her application would presumably be due, I think, in October. There's a whole process you go through. I don't know if she'll make it or not, but what I can tell you is I'm going to support the heck out of getting her there and giving her that chance to you know, be part of that you know, 11% that gets you know, through the application and you know, um, admitted into to the academy. And I think that's life again in general is like dream big, go for it. Like there's nothing stopping you other than yourself putting that foot in front of the next foot and going for it. Yeah, I, I, and, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Honestly, I, I could not agree more on both points. I think, you know, thinking big and going well beyond what you think you can achieve. I think not enough people do that. And I think it's, uh, it's great that you're having those conversations with your daughter and as smaller chances it could be. I mean, you know, go for it. Never have the regret, right? That, well, I, you know, I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done that. And, and also interesting what you said about, you know, living in the moment and, and COVID is certainly in the pandemic is, is, brought that into attention and it, it reminds me of a quote by uh, Oprah, uh Winfrey who talks about you know be thankful for what you have because you'll end up having more <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and if you don't if, and if you don't appreciate what you have now you'll never you'll never have enough and I think that uh, I'm sure that time off in that time with your family um probably give you that perspective and maybe a few uh, you know, Chick-fil-A wow. burgers along the way as well were probably a good, <laughs> a good part of that journey. Yeah. Um, I mean, to that point when I was off, I, I think I, I do a lot of cycling. So I probably rode close to 6,000 miles that summer. Wow. I uh, fished with my boys, I think close to 14 or 15 days where we just went out and did fishing. Spent a lot of time, you know, with, you know, my daughters doing other activities, boating, skiing, et cetera. It just really was you know, being at, at that time, I think I was 44 years old. So being at that, uh, being at the place to be able to say, okay, let's figure this out. Let's spend some time on the things that really matter. Just mm -hmm. so critical. And, and that's the other piece, just one last carry on is I would like to figure out a way that people can take sabbaticals. So I, I think that's, you know, having a, a two week, a four week, a six week sabbatical on occasion, just to free up your mind and clear things yeah. out. It's, it's uh, so important. So I would tell that 25 year old, make sure you figure out a way to do that on a you know, 10 or 15 year, you know, basis. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's really interesting about that. You know, when I started my business, I set up a, um, uh, we called it a five year sunshine break in that. Cause you know, in a, in a marketing agency business, you know, five years is like, it's like dog years. It's like 50 years because it's, <laughs> and, uh, and it's incredible because, uh, in the last few years we've had four or five of the team actually reach that goal. And one of our teams just come back from it's two weeks off and, you know, in addition to the normal holiday vacation yeah. thing. And it's just, thank you, take a break, get take, catch your breath, refresh, recharge. And, you know, and I personally took a month off last year when my youngest son was born and I yeah, spending that time with a family away from work. And I think particularly now, you know, a lot of us have been working from home and work's taken over life, being able to just step back and, you know, and then for you as well, being an employer that enables companies and, and their team to do that is a huge differentiator, particularly here in the U S where, people I see 
it's there's definitely less balance in the US than I see in Europe. You know, we have got cl- you know yeah. clients in Sweden that you know we have a client in Sweden that takes a month off every single year. You know, and goes with it with her family, and it's beautiful to see. And you know, mentioned that to a client in. <laughs> you know, here in the state, yeah, the and they're like, "What? Well. That's, that's crazy! I can't possibly." Yeah, that's do that. yeah I lose my job, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then I know we've only got a few minutes left. So the, I suppose the last few things was I'm really interested, you know. I suppose talking about the sector and the CDMO space, any trends you're seeing. Obviously, you guys are making significant investment in the sterols, and that market will continue to grow, but. Uh, any any interesting insights for our listeners around you know things that you're changing uh, that you're seeing in the sector and trends that you expect to continue, but maybe even I suppose with the filter of COVID and how COVID is going to impact. I mean, you talked about how it's uh, you know literally impacted the economy local to where you are in terms of Catalan's expansion. I'm just interested in your take on whether or not that will continue in the future and you know how the life science sector and the outsourcing space in particular will continue to develop and grow. Yeah. Um, so, Ramona, it's a, again a perspective that I'll share some some thoughts with you on. And again, my numbers may be off a little bit, but when I started this journey and you know ultimately started the capital raise process in February of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic you know, <laughs> that we find ourselves in now, um, the, the data that I was referencing, just because I didn't go out and spend a lot of money on, you know, um, analyst re- re- uh, reports, market research reports, but the numbers for the, the, the CDMO, sterile injectables market that I was referencing was somewhere in the four to five billion range. And the, the data that I had suggested it was growing roughly seven to 10 percent. And if you understand the rule of 72 if it's growing at 10%, that means the market's going to double every 70, seven years. If it's growing at 7%, then your market's going to double you know, over the next 10 years. So you take that, the, the perspective I had was it was a $4 billion market. Somewhere over the next seven, seven to 10 years, it was going to be an $8 billion market. Uh, and that gave me the confidence to say, you know what, we can do this. We can go raise the capital, start a company and be a, a player in you know, what will ultimately become an $8 billion market. Well, the interesting thing, and I think I saw this report about six or eight weeks ago, I was wrong in my numbers because the, what they're saying now, and this is, I still believe, a pre-pandemic report, it was close to $5 billion and it was projected to grow at, um, to, to double over the next five years. You know, so instead of growing at seven to ten percent, could it actually be growing in the twelve to fourteen percent range? I think that's the reality, and certainly, as long as COVID vaccine manufacturing is here, you know, we all know and see that you know the demand that's in the marketplace today for sterile injectable filling is significant. Now, is it going to be here in two years or three years? You know, in some regards, I hope from a, a health perspective, it's not. But the reality is. You know, we're, we're already talking now about a third booster shot. You know, we're, we're talking about a, a significant population that still has not been vac- uh, vaccinated, both U.S. and globally. So I think it's going to be there for a while, unfortunately, um, as well as I think there's just some really unique things that are happening with this mRNA technology. And it, it, it's shown us the impact that this technology can have on patient outcomes. And you know, as, uh, as some of these companies are advancing mRNA into other vaccines, uh, I think most recently Moderna was making some announcements on an HIV vaccine. I mean, that could be game changing, right? You keep taking that, you know, where BioNTech got its start with cancer vaccine treatment. I mean, there's just a real opportunity for this technology to go into some spaces that maybe were unsolvable previously, but now have an opportunity to be solved with this technology. So I, I think that's where you know I feel confident that the 
the, the sterile injectable space is, is going to grow, you know, from an ancillary outside of that, you know, certainly cell and gene therapy, just broadly speaking, continual investment that companies are making uh, to expand their portfolio within cell and gene therapy. I think that's one that we have to just continue to watch and monitor and, you know, both favorably and unfavorably, what impact that might have on traditional, you know, biologic drugs. I, I don't know the outcome of that one yet, but that's certainly something that we're going to watch and monitor. No, that, that's great. And I, it's interesting, you know, your figures on sterols, you know, I I can't remember, but I, I certainly saw some data recently that suggested the sterols market in particular was going to uh, really grow uh, very fast as a, as a consequence. And the data I was looking at was also pre-pandemic and it was kind of, there was a huge caveat, which is we think this number is much higher. We just don't know how high it is yet, yeah. which to your point is, uh, yeah, and, it, and you know, I think, you know, by the sounds of it, Corey, and I appreciate your time today and your insight, you know, your in COG and your philosophy and business and your team are going to be really well positioned uh, for success in the next few years. And uh, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, but uh, I certainly wish you all the best with your uh, development. I'll be watching the facility and, and the success of the business. And yeah, was there any, I mean, I suppose any final comments to our listener or any requests, you know, I'm sure if people want to connect with Corey, you're happy for them to do so. And yeah, if there's anything else you wanted to add, but you know, from my perspective, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show and, and hear your journey. Uh, it's a real enviable kind of success story in the CDMO space, but I love the fact that you haven't just rested on your laurels and, decided to kind of start up again at the tender age of 47, which yeah. is, uh, which is amazing. And I think it speaks volumes for, for you. And it's a great example, I'm sure for your kids as well, which is, you know, we kind of, you, we go again, right? You do it again, but this time it's going to be more fun because it's your baby. <laughs> yeah. No, well, first off, Ramon, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate the conversation. Look forward to uh, hopefully more conversations like this in the future. Um, yeah, yeah, I think the only other thing that I would say is just broadly speaking, this isn't related to NCOG at all. This is just related to whomever might listen. Like, bottom line, don't take the easy route, right? The easy route is just that. It's easy. You know, I can tell you firsthand that this journey of starting a company, not easy. Um, <laughs> it's hard work, but it's also extremely rewarding, right? And this is, you know, rewarding from the standpoint of truly acquiring a piece of land that was dirt. We've started building a new site on it. We're putting in, you know, state-of-the-art equipment. We're building a team. Like those things, I can tell you that I come to work every day energized. I come to work every day having fun. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Uh, but it's just when you put in the effort and be able to, you're able to, you know, reap the the rewards of seeing good things happen to your teammates around you, good things happen to you know, companies getting founded and truly back to the, you know, the original why of being able to create a company with staying power. Mm-hmm. You know, if it were easy, everybody'd be doing it. So, um, you know, certainly this isn't easy, but it can be very rewarding. And, and that's the encouragement. You know, whatever you're doing in your day-to-day or your work, you know, try to take the hard path because it's going to be a lot more rewarding than just the easy path. Oh, that's a, it's a great place to end the conversation and I couldn't agree more it's a it's a comment I say to my kids <laughs> do the hard things first and then you can do yeah. that in, in the easy things but uh yeah it's terrific advice and you know thanks Corey again for, for being a guest on Molecule to Market perfect thank you appreciate it hi again thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on Spotify Apple Podcast or wherever you like to listen Get in touch with us on our website, molecule 2 marketpodcom 
and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.